Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. In this episode, we listen to Attack of the Clones, made in the year 2002. Now, here's your host, Jeff Cummings. It had only been five years since John Williams gave us four film scores in one calendar year. When 2002 rolled around, the maestro was 70 years old, and even though he enjoyed the process of creating music for the movies, certainly the stress of writing music for four films in one year would weigh on him a little bit more. The scores that John Williams wrote in 2002 were different from the four scores he wrote in, say, 1997 or even 1974. The production timelines for each of the four films almost overlapped, creating some scheduling difficulties for Williams that could not be avoided. And he could not turn them down because two of them were by Steven Spielberg, one of them was a Harry Potter film, and one of them was a Star Wars film. And when you talk about the score for one of the films in 2002, you have to also talk about the score for one of the others because they are intertwined. This reminds me of the schedule Williams had in 1974 when he went straight from writing music for Earthquake to creating the score for The Towering Inferno. That was the case for Attack of the Clones, the second film in the Star Wars prequel trilogy, and Minority Report, Steven Spielberg's blockbuster sci-fi film. Both were on the docket for a theatrical release one month apart, with Attack of the Clones set for May 16, 2002, and Minority Report scheduled for a June 21st release. What we will find as we explore the music for Attack of the Clones in this episode is that Williams found himself so backed up in his schedule that the score for Attack of the Clones had to resort to some fairly drastic measures that hadn't really been taken with any of its previous scores. You only have to listen to the music for the opening title crawl to understand this. Williams' time demands were so intense that he didn't make the effort to record a new opening fanfare for Attack of the Clones, using the music for the opening to The Phantom Menace instead. This marked the first Star Wars film that would not get an entirely new opening title recording. On its own, Attack of the Clones was going to be a tough assignment for Williams. The score he wrote for The Phantom Menace could serve as a clean slate to start fresh with the Star Wars sound. Now, Williams had to continue the musical journey he started in The Phantom Menace while also working to close the musical gap with the original trilogy. The demands were great, but Williams, as always, seemed to be up to the task. The fifth time is like the first time, Williams said in a 2002 interview. It's like anything else we do creatively. We sit down with a blank piece of paper and we hope that we're going to have the inspiration and the energy and the good luck that we've had in the past. So I think every time is the same challenge all over again, and we rise to meet it in the best way we can, and that's the thing that keeps us vitally interested in what we do, end quote. And I think by we, he's talking about his fellow composers. The challenge Williams had this time around was a clunky script, written by George Lucas and Jonathan Hales. After writing and directing The Phantom Menace, Lucas had said he was done with directing and wasn't interested in writing another script. But as time approached to have a script ready for the second film, Lucas realized it was up to him to keep the story progression going and not rely on others, as he had done with The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But who is Jonathan Hales, and how did he get the awesome responsibility of co-writing a Star Wars script? 
Hales' last screenwriting credit was in 1981 for the forgettable British film Loophole. But he had been working in the 1990s as writer of numerous episodes of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles in the 1990s, which were created and produced by George Lucas. With the Attack of the Clone script, it's very telling that the two didn't have a finished script until three days before the start of Principal Photography. Producer Rick McCallum said, quote, We had to build these sets to a script that didn't exist. End quote. It probably hindered the actors' abilities to effectively prepare for their performances as well when they didn't have much of a script before shooting. I won't talk much about how Lucas and Hales continued the flow of continuity with the original trilogy. A few moments in Attack of the Clones mirror actions taken in The Empire Strikes Back, including a growing love story, a severed hand, and several diverging plot lines that come together in the finale. And I certainly, certainly will not waste a lot of time on the big decision to bring in Hayden Christensen as the grown-up Anakin Skywalker, a casting choice that came in after his breakout award-nominated role in Life as a House, which certainly was a performance that would get anyone's attention. And we look at this film now knowing that Natalie Portman is destined to win an Oscar in eight years after such bad performances in the Star Wars prequels. And Samuel L. Jackson is cast in the same vein that Billy D. Williams was put into The Empire Strikes Back. And of course, Yoda is now a CGI character and not a puppet. And it's just not feasible what he does in the movie. Despite the setbacks in pre-production, the film managed to get completed, but not really on schedule. When it came time for Williams to start working on the score in winter 2001, only about half of the film was complete. But Williams' first chore with the music was not to write something specific to a scene, but an overarching theme that would become one of only two new major themes for Attack of the Clones. This major theme would be the love theme between Anakin Skywalker, now about 19 years old, and Padme, the former queen of Naboo, now serving as senator. Williams has said that the love theme harkens back to the love themes that his idols Max Steiner and others wrote in the 1950s, lush and elegant. And the love theme is certainly that, full of deep violins that help make the new romance fly, but also manage to bring it back to the ground as the foreshadowing of the tragedy that will follow in the next film. Here's a taste of the love theme from the concert suite that Williams first created, then retrofitted into various scenes throughout the film. There's a lot to pick apart in that theme, and the most obvious one is the connection to the main Star Wars theme. In this case, we'll call it Luke's theme, since he is one of the products of this love. You can hear the descending triplet play twice, and even the two notes that usually precede that are reversed to make it tragic and not heroic. 
if I had a better eye for reading music, I might be able to pick out some parts of Leia's theme in there too, since she is also a product of this love between Anakin and Padme. Even if Leia's theme is not present in this love theme, the sweeping beauty of it is, and that is a major link. The theme, called Across the Stars, is desperately attempting to be triumphant, but even if you don't know what happens in the future, you know this romance will end just as badly as it started. Obviously, Anakin and Padme didn't watch Speed and hear Sandra Bullock say that relationships based on intense experiences never work. When Lucas sat down with John Williams to discuss the music for Attack of the Clones, Lucas expressed the need for a love theme, obviously, indicating that this would be the first love theme written for a Star Wars movie. I've always been confused by Lucas's comment and confused that Williams wouldn't correct him. We all know that there was a love theme written previously for a Star Wars film, and it's clearly the love theme between Han and Leia. Introduced in The Empire Strikes Back and reprised in Return of the Jedi, as well as during a crucial point in the Force Awakens sequel, this is clearly a love theme. It's more beautiful than Across the Stars, probably because this love theme is triumphant. In any case, the love theme for Anakin and Padme takes over a large part of the film when we see the two of them on Naboo growing closer. One of the scenes that I find very hard to watch with a straight face is the first kiss scene on the balcony. In a very obvious nod to Han and Leia's first kiss in Empire, Anakin and Padme do not really have a romantic first kiss, though theirs is not interrupted by a fussy droid. Williams does his best to give us all the glory of the strings in this scene as Anakin leans in for the kiss but it won't last long. The look on Hayden Christensen's face is unintentionally funny, taking a lot away from the somewhat romantic feel of the scene. But later, Williams and Lucas try to redeem themselves with the first romantic performance of the love theme as Padme gets her Sound of Music moment, running in a grassy field while Anakin rides some weird animal. The other theme for Attack of the Clones is less obvious and highlights the plot to overthrow the Republic by a group of people called Separatists. The leader is a former Jedi named Count Dooku, and the theme that accompanies most mentions of the Separatists is probably the darkest theme in the Star Wars canon. Yes, darker than the Emperor's theme. But if we listen to this theme, we might hear some similarities in the chord progressions to the Emperor's theme.
I liked the Dies Irae cameo there, suggesting the impending war. This separatist theme is not a major theme, and many of the performances of it are mixed so low that the tubas are barely audible. The one I just played is his final performance in the film when the leaders of the separatist movement talk while Obi-Wan Kenobi eavesdrops on them. The first 90 minutes of the movie have some relatively good action scenes with strong musical moments that do not rely on musical motifs as Williams did often in the original trilogy. The lengthiest one is the chase through Coruscant after an assassin tries to kill Padme in her sleep. Obi-Wan and Anakin follow the assassin in a speeder, and it's notable that nowhere in the scene is a performance of the Force theme for the Jedi Master and his apprentice. It's pretty much an action scene scored in the way Williams has shifted to in recent years. The tonality of the score here attempts to be heard above the sound effects, which is not an easy thing, while also driving the action forward through the dynamics of the performance by the London Symphony Orchestra, including a high-pitched flute ostinato. The real thrust of the scene starts as Obi-Wan crashes through a window to catch a droid that had dispatched killer caterpillars. The assassin sees Obi-Wan holding onto the droid and shoots at him. Obi-Wan falls before Anakin comes along to catch him and really get the chase started. Let's stop here and talk about that electric guitar. 
Discussions have been going on since summer 2002 about whether or not the electric guitar can be heard in the film version of the chase music. And 18 years later, it is still very hard to make a definite determination. I watched that moment in the movie when the guitar would be playing probably four times, and I think I hear it very faintly. But maybe it's a sound effect I'm hearing. It's on the soundtrack release loud and clear, marking the first electric guitar use in Star Wars. Quite a turnaround for John Williams, who had promised to make Episode 4 all acoustic orchestral instruments to make the strange things we are seeing less strange. And here we are now talking about an electric guitar in a Star Wars film. Of course, there have been heavy uses of synthesizer in previous Star Wars films, but this one has really stood out. The chase music continues until Anakin crashes the assassin's speeder a few minutes later. Because of the heavy use of sound effects, creating music for this scene must have been tough for John Williams. Perhaps going without music would have been better to just let sound editor Ben Burt have a field day with the scene. There are two big action moments in the film where music does not play, likely to showcase the sound effects. One comes during the asteroid scene when Jango Fett tries to kill Obi-Wan by exploding seismic charges on the large asteroids. The sound effects there are spectacular and I am surprised that this didn't help the film receive sound effects nominations. The other big action moment without music comes in the big arena scene when the huge monsters are revealed. And speaking of Jango Fett, many fans have lamented that this bounty hunter, who we find out is the father of the legendary bounty hunter Boba Fett, does not get a theme. Boba Fett got a theme in The Empire Strikes Back, but his father only gets a strong melody during a fight scene with Obi-Wan in the rain. It is my favorite piece of action music in Attack of the Clones, and one that might have been composed early, based on the amount of effort Williams puts into placing sync points throughout. It takes a good deal of time to get the music for a scene like this right, especially when you write it mostly in 3-4 time, as opposed to the typical 4-4 time for an action scene. You'll hear a lot of the flute and xylophone here, another staple of Williams' action cues in the 2000s.
No heroic rendition of the Force theme for Obi-Wan here after miraculously surviving a fall and returning to fight. Just before this big fight, Obi-Wan uncovers a secret plot to create a clone army for the Republic on the rainy planet of Kamino. Though the mystery of who actually requested the creation of this army remains so through the film, we learn that Jango Fett was cloned to create this army, which is boarding a large ship during Obi-Wan's tour of the facility. Instead of giving us something that might foreshadow these soldiers as stormtroopers for the Empire, like maybe the Imperial March, Williams and Lucas decide to reach back into the Phantom Menace and give them the droid fanfare. That will not be the last time that music from The Phantom Menace is used in Attack of the Clones. The second act of the film has Obi-Wan traveling across the galaxy to uncover the mystery behind the clone army and the Separatists, while Anakin is charged with protecting Padme after two assassination attempts. The major flaw of the film is the editing between these two stories. We skip back and forth between them so quickly and often that it's hard to keep a flow. The Empire Strikes Back, for example, had three connecting stories running at the same time, but we never felt overwhelmed. In this case, it doesn't help us to stay engaged or keep the music flowing well. Who to blame? Well, it starts with the way the scenes are written in the script, then how that script is translated in the editing by Ben Burtt, who had never edited a feature-length movie until the prequel trilogy. John Williams does his best to create cohesion with the music, but it's likely that numerous edits after the score was completed caused the transitions to end up on the cutting room floor. One such instance comes when Anakin and Padme go to Tatooine to find his mother. This entire sequence should have been pretty much one long scene, as it will be the emotional climax of the film. But it is broken up into four separate scenes. Once Anakin discovers that Tusken Raiders have kidnapped his mother, he decides to find them and rescue his mother. He hugs Padme before leaving her, while Williams gives us one of the few performances of the Force theme in this movie. This is highlighting the softer side of Anakin Skywalker. Then the music crescendos to Duel of the Fates as we see Anakin, stone-faced on a speeder, determined to find the Tusken Raider camp.
Duel of the Fates, I think, is used here to further highlight the duality of Adenkin's personality. It took me a long time to understand why it was used here, and its placement is probably the one time when music from The Phantom Menace makes sense in this movie. The death of Anakin's mother is one of the turning points for Anakin turning toward the dark side, and he shows us that in a scene with Padme as he describes killing an entire camp of Tusken Raiders. The Emperor's theme comes in as Anakin talks about these unspeakable acts before he collapses under his own shame, with what will be Darth Vader's theme playing underneath. Yes, the future emperor is starting to take hold of Anakin, and the music suggests that. Interesting that the emperor's theme comes back as Anakin talks about being a good person because he's a Jedi. His arrogance is taking hold of him, a sure sign that the dark side is lingering in Anakin. The final 30 minutes of the movie is where we notice how the production schedule of Minority Report intruded on John Williams' work on Attack of the Clones because much of the special effects from the big battle between the droids and the clones was still being completed up to the last minute, it caused Williams and Lucas to make the decision to reuse music from The Phantom Menace in much of this battle scene, because Williams clearly did not have the time to write original music. And a lot of the music doesn't make a lot of sense as it is used. We're left to wonder what music Williams could have created here if time allowed. We don't have to wonder about unused music written for the lengthy scene with Anakin, Padme, C-3PO, and R2-D2 on a conveyor belt on Geonosis. Each of them, except R2-D2 of course, finds themselves in danger of death by machine, and Williams wrote a somewhat playful cue for this scene, complete with those flutes and xylophones.
I really wish this part of the queue stayed in the movie. This unused music was part of a special soundtrack release of the score that you could only buy at Target stores in North America, and I was glad that I did because it also came with special cover art. Mine featured Django Fett. If you lived in the United Kingdom or in Germany, you were also able to buy the CD featuring this extra cue. I am glad that we get original music in the scene that reveals Dooku and Darth Sidious were working together to create this war. I like the low strings as Dooku's ship arrives on Coruscant, followed by the Emperor's theme as he flies to a dark region. And then there are the two final scenes, featuring the official use of the clone army by Chancellor Palpatine and the secret wedding between Anakin and Padme. If Williams was going to use a previous theme for the clone army scene, I suppose the Imperial March works well. And just as he did with The Empire Strikes Back, Williams closes out Attack of the Clones with a sweeping and urgently hopeful performance of the new love theme. The little hint of Vader's theme closes it out.
Usually, John Williams wouldn't have recorded a score for a film set for a May release in mid-January. And I'm sure he wished he didn't have other obligations keeping him from dashing off once the last sessions were complete. Williams had a very busy February lined up, which included a few weeks in Utah to conduct his composition Call of the Champions at the opening ceremony of the 2002 Winter Olympics. He also stayed to conduct a couple of concerts after that debut performance. I talked extensively about that composition at the end of my Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone episode. And once Williams was done with that, he headed to California to usher in a new era for film scores, conducting a live orchestra performing the full score to E.T. while the audience watched the film on a large screen. And you could find that on the 2002 DVD release. It's wonderful. And then he had that gig as music director for the Academy Awards in mid-March, where he watched Howard Shore win the Oscar for original score over his work for Harry Potter and for AI. In between all of this, whenever he had a few minutes to sit in front of a piano, Williams started to sketch out music for his next film, Minority Report. The last-minute rush to get Attack of the Clones completed for its May release date was not lost on critics, who blasted the film over various plot holes and bad dialogue. Because it was a Star Wars film, fans flocked to theaters in droves to see it, but not as much as they had for previous films. Attack of the Clones made a lot of money, $653 million, but its box office was not good enough to be the number one ranked movie of the year, the first time a Star Wars movie was unable to earn that distinction. The visual effects department earned an Oscar nomination for their work on Attack of the Clones, but John Williams found his work left off the list of original score nominees. That was due to a completely new rule change that year regarding original scores that left another composer off the eligibility list. The Academy created a rule stating that scores from sequels must contain all new music and not contain music written for previous installments. That meant Attack of the Clones was ineligible from the first second since it used the famous theme in the title scroll and used a lot of music from previous installments. It also removed the score for the second Harry Potter film from eligibility, as well as Howard Shore's score for the second film in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Two Towers, and this comes a year after Howard Shore won an Oscar for The Fellowship of the Ring. This rule only lasted one year, as composers reasoned that sequel scores naturally had previously used themes and should not be ineligible based on that. The Academy later allowed increasingly larger amounts of pre-existing music in a score to be eligible, and as of 2020, they're saying that number is 40%. John Williams got zero nominations for his work on Attack of the Clones, the first time that a Star Wars score received no accolades from peers and critics. The heavy use of pre-existing music likely had a major effect on that, but it would not prevent Lucas and Williams from going back to the well for the final chapter of the prequel trilogy in three years. With no time on his schedule for even the briefest of breaks, Williams sat down to prepare his score for Minority Report, the futuristic sci-fi thriller that Steven Spielberg was ready to show his composer. And we'll waste no time as well. The next episode of The Baton will dive into the world of pre-crime with Minority Report, and I look forward to having you join me for this analysis of the score. As always, please feel free to send me an email to jeffswim at aol.com, and please take a couple of minutes to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate all the support you've given the show, and thank you for being a regular listener. Until next time, The Baton is down.